What's going on, Ewoks, droids, porgs of all ages, and welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast here in the quarantine editions, the quarantine sessions, where we're all working from home and absorbing Star Wars from the comfort of our respective office chairs and beds, and let's be real, that's, that's kind of what we were doing anyway, but now we don't have work to interrupt it, which is kind of nice. I'm working here from the exact same place that I do this podcast, and so it has become uh, sort of one big fluid process where I feel like I'm bringing the energy into the show. I've been really excited um, rolling again and getting this thing done regularly and done with some really special people, um, and we have a great guest on for this episode. We are joined by Alex Damon, uh, perhaps better known as the mastermind behind Star Wars Explained, the YouTube channel that serves as you know the accompaniment for my morning coffee, part of my daily routine um, for the past couple of years. I've been watching Alex's videos and just absorbing the knowledge, absorbing the passion from him and Molly Damon, who as well is featured on the channel in Q&As and different vlog videos that they do, managing the social media accounts, and they're an amazing team, and so I'm excited to have Alex on, as he is one of the most positive voices, one of the most knowledgeable voices, and definitely uh, something of a leader in the fandom, and I think that it's a really good conversation where we dive into all the different battles, our favorite piloting characters, we geek out about people like Tally Lintra from The Last Jedi or Antok Merrick from Rogue One. We talk about the different video games, Alex's background in Star Wars, and of course, if you are a fan of Star Wars Explained, of the great work that Alex and Molly do over there, you know how passionate he is about Biggs Dark Lighter, and we do get into Biggs as well. It's a really fun conversation uh, with some different uh, revelations and opinions, uh, some good laughs about different moments, and just an analysis of what makes a good battle in general, including some reflections on the sequel trilogy that may be uh, room for there may be room for debate in, which I think is really healthy if it's done in a really positive way. So excited for Alex to come on in just a couple minutes when I throw to that interview. Uh, but for right now, I do want to talk a little bit of Star Wars news. There isn't much going on, but there is one special thing aside from the Clone Wars being ongoing and when the Clone Wars wraps. There will be an episode, there will be a conversation about the Siege of Mandalore. I kind of wanted to wait for that final arc to be out before I took the deep dive into discussing what it means and potential connections and things that we might not have expected because we feel like we know where it's going. But I don't think that Dave and the Lucasfilm team would necessarily just give us uh, the bare bones sort of what we knew had happened based on canon history. There's got to be some special things in there, but we'll get to that. For right now, there is Mandalorian news as Disney Plus has announced that there is going to be a little bit of May 4th celebrating. It's a eight-part docu-series. I believe it's eight parts. Let me let me double-check that. Uh, it is uh, going to be, yes, an eight-episode documentary series called Disney Gallery Star Wars The Mandalorian. And it sounds like it's going to be the entire behind-the-scenes look at how they crafted season one of the show. It's something that I'm extremely excited for because I've been waiting for some behind-the-scenes stuff in a big, bad way. I mean, they had that video that they put out that had the stagecraft uh, shown off a little bit and had Favreau sort of taking the dive into how it works, how they're able to do it, how it's able to allow them to manipulate sets in real time, which is wild, and sets that you would never even think were digital, like the client played by Werner Herzog. His office was a digital set, 
and it's really amazing. But obviously, we know that at least four of these eight hours, I mean, I hope they're hours, uh, are going to be uh, dedicated to the child, of course, baby Yoda. I'm excited to see maybe the process of choosing the Yoda species for that character. I mean, that's something that the character didn't need to be that, but obviously it was such a wise choice for nostalgia, for branding, things like that. Uh, I'm excited maybe for them to get into the casting. I would love to know how people like Pedro Pascal and Gina Carano and Carl Weathers all became the choices for these roles and and assembling the directors. I mean, to see Filoni direct live action and Deborah Chow just tearing it up, Bryce Dallas Howard. I mean, I think that this could be uh, the thing that the fandom needs right now, especially as we're all dealing with the difficult realities of real life and dealing with the fact that we're all stuck in our houses and that we would not be able to celebrate May the 4th in the way that we normally would want to with our friends out at conventions, out at the comic book store, you know, taking advantage of the, of those those sales and those deals or going to screenings of the different films. I think that this is a good way for Lucasfilm and Disney to sort of extend the hand and say, hey, here's something special. Whether they had it planned to come out later in the year or if it was always going to be the May the 4th plan, either way, it is greatly appreciated. So that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to a lot and I will definitely be covering here on Octo Radio as soon as it is out. I will be binging that for sure. But for now, I am going to throw it over to the interview with Alex Damon of Star Wars Explained talking about pilots talking about space battles and talking about all the stuff that he is passionate about in that realm of aerial combat so as the episode title says it is time to lock s foils in explain position all right ladies and gentlemen like i said up top we are joined today by a special guest he is not only one of the most prominent uh, star wars youtubers and content creators that we have but he is also reigning defending undisputed champion uh, in Star Wars trivia and the movie Trivia Schmodown. He is hunkered down in Atlanta right now, protected from all things uh, virus like we all are right now. Live from quarantine, it is Alex Damon of Star Wars Explained. Hey, what's going on, Alden? How are you, man? How's everything going up there? Uh, I think it's probably the same as everyone's doing, pretty much. Just we're all, yeah, hunkered down is a good way to put it and hanging out inside and trying to stay sane. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you think that this has at all pushed you into diving more into uh, like content creation? Do you find yourself being more driven? Because you were already had your own schedule. So I'm curious, like, how does that work for someone like you where a lot of people are like, oh, I'm working from home now. I'm being so much less productive. Or is it just same? Uh, I mean, it's kind of the same. Uh, our routine hasn't really changed, except we have started to try to live stream a little bit more just since people are stuck at home and maybe want to, hang out and just chat for a little bit. Uh, we're trying to do a, a little of that. And so like today we experimented with not putting out a new video and we did a live stream instead. And I, that was pretty fun. I, I, I tend to have to force myself to live stream. I don't know why. So uh, it, that's kind of been more at the forefront of my mind. So I've been swapping out some content creation for just hanging out. Yeah, I think that that's definitely needed right now. I mean, a lot of people... Um, obviously, we're all turning to the things that we like the most, but you're already so immersed in the thing that you at least, I would say, probably a top three thing for you uh, <laughs> being Star Wars. I know I know it's I'm sure there are days where it, it ebbs and flows out of your number one slot. 
depending on, you know, online discourse and whatever's sure. going on at the moment. I know there are days where I'm like, yeah, I love it, but uh, I'm going to be over here. So would you say that it's uh, maintaining its prominence in your life? Are you going back to it at all and watching it? Or are you using the time to catch up on other things? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the discourse. Like, I find that I've been off Twitter more often than I would have been otherwise. Like, I, I used to be on Twitter a lot, and now I haven't been. And that's been kind of nice. Like, I'll pop on and see that people are still arguing, and I'll be like, all right, well, I just don't want to look at that right now. So uh, as for other fandoms, um, I've actually been trying to spend the time studying uh, other geeky things because I've entered the inner geekdom schmodown as well. Uh, not just Star Wars, but also Star Trek and Middle Earth and Harry Potter and the MCU. So I'm trying to use this time wisely and do a little studying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I did see uh, your first match. Congratulations on that victory. For those you. of you that uh, haven't seen Movie Trivia Schmodown, uh, it's a riot. It's a blast. And uh, I've actually, I've, I mean, I've been following it for a couple of years. I did see Alex actually defend his belt against Joseph Scrimshaw in Chicago. Joseph, who was on last week, of course, recording podcasts and tapings it's time is all over the place but when this comes out joseph will have been on last week um <laughs> so yeah so it, it's been a nice crew of guests right now but for alex i just wanted to sort of dive into a topic that i think would be your forte something that i know that you are passionate about because there's so many different subsets of the fandom and there's so many different um areas of expertise whereas i gravitate more toward the sword and sorcery like fantasy side of all of it I know that there are a lot of people that are like ship experts and there are a lot of people, obviously, I mean, with our cosplay communities that we all see uh, that are troopers and things like that. But for you, I've noticed and, you know, seeing your reviews of things like uh, Alphabet Squadron, how excited you were to see that kind of return to form for publishing, hearkening uh, back to, you know, Legends novels we used to have. Where does that start for you as a kid to be? Uh, a pilot's guy, so to speak. Were you a RC plane type kid? Uh, not at all. I, I think my first introduction to all of that kind of stuff was Star Wars. Uh, my parents showed it to me when I was seven or eight, I think eight. And I immediately fell in love with the whole movie, but mostly the trench run. Uh, I thought that was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. Uh, I loved all of the pilots. I loved their orange outfits. Um, Luke in his orange X-Wing pilot outfit was the first action figure I ever bought. And I loved X-Wings. So I, I guess it just comes from that. That's just what I latched on to back then. And to this day, I still love that orange flight suit. And <laughs> uh, I, I, as much as I'm like wishing that the sequel trilogy had done a little bit different like not straight up rebellion versus empire again uh mm -hmm. i, I would have been sad to not have those orange flight suits again do you have one i don't i should uh <laughs> i have been to tossing around the idea of doing a rebel legion cosplay for a long time i've got like the bigs helmet i can't bro grow a bigs mustache so that would be a problem but i should make one i also you mentioned alphabet squadron i look a lot like will lark but he's an A-wing pilot, and he wears a green jumpsuit. Yeah. And so, yeah, you do. <laughs> like, I noticed that. Until, until just now. That'd be the perfect cosplay for me, except he's wearing green, and I like the orange. <laughs> I know. I, and every now and then they do mix it up, and I, I like seeing it, like uh, introducing like Kazuda Yono's uh, blue outfit and the other the other uh, flight suits from the New Republic. Like that was 
that was cool, but there's just something about the orange, and I don't know if it's because we saw it first, but it's just so hard to get away from it. I mean, unless you completely uh, revamp the look. Like, I love uh, Royal Naboo outfits, whether it's guards, whether it's the uh, N1 pilots. That, to me, was my X-Wing, being uh, definitely a prequels kid. That yellow N1 is by far my favorite of all the fighters. But for you, with the with the X-Wing, I mean, was it sort of just because you thought the design was cooler than, say, a tie? Or was it for you that it was your characters, the characters you love were inside of it? It's a good question. Um, I, I I remember thinking the, the S-foils were awesome, that they opened and closed. And, like, when I bought those ships, that's all I would do is open and close them and put them in attack mode and then put them back in just uh, regular travel mode. I don't know, passive mode. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> yeah, you never those... hear you never hear the secondary <laughs> command of like, all right, we're done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I got into all those nuances with like the Rogue Squadron games, the X-Wing games where it's like, oh, you can close the S-foils and you'll move faster, but you can't fire back, which apparently now you can fire with them closed. Uh, that was <laughs> it's like one of those weird things you notice as a Star Wars fan. Uh, mm-hmm. I think in Star Wars Resistance someone fired with their S-foils closed, and I was like, wait a minute, but that's yeah. the thing you can do, I guess. Was it, uh, I, was it Vanessa Doza's? Because I remember thinking that hers, hers is obviously, like, modded out a little bit. It's got, like, those S-foils that have openings inside of them and stuff. I thought she was really cool with her whole yeah, she has, setup. She has a really cool, like, custom X-Wing. I think Poe did it. I actually think Hera may have done it in Season 4 of Star Wars Rebels as well, now that I think about it, but... Yeah, it's just like something that yeah, most we people went... <laughs> would never notice. But And that's kind of like your your life at this point where just consuming any of this stuff, just going getting off pilots for just a second, we'll come right back. Um, it's curious, you know, where this has become your job and this has become not, not only a passion project, but also what you're doing, what you're scheduling yourself around, uh, you know, content creation, editing the content, uh, social media management, obviously, with Molly as well, who's on the channel. Um, every week and in Q and A's and other videos, so it's also something that you're sharing in your household with you know your family. And so, mm-hmm. is it at the point now where you see non Star Wars things through a Star Wars lens? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> it, it's kind of hard to turn it off sometimes, especially when like yeah, you work from home and it's hard to have that divide of like I'm at work and now I'm at home relaxing. It's like I don't know. I'm I feel like I'm always thinking about Star Wars in some way. Or we'll be watching uh, Lord of the Rings and something will pop up and be like, oh, that'd be an interesting video to relate back to Star Wars. And yeah, I, I think it probably has turned into that a little bit. I had a similar moment. Now that you mentioned Lord of the Rings where I remember when they were ramping up to Rise of Skywalker and we knew for a fact that we were going to have Anakin's blade again, but just reforged. I was like. I don't know about that. I thought that Ryan broke it on purpose. Thought they were going to do something different. And then it was a friend of mine that goes, but it's like when Aragorn got the reforged sword. And I'm like, well, now I like it. I'm like, well, look what you did. I'm like, now I'm okay with it. You put it through the lens of something else and make those connections. I've been loving, by the way, that Indiana Jones has been popping up as well on the channel. That's been exciting. That's uh, probably my number two franchise of all time. Did you know that, and I read this the other day, that now that coronavirus has pushed back Indy 5, that if Indiana Jones, the in-universe character, ages the same way Harrison ages, it'll take place in 1977? Yep. I saw uh, Todd Vaziri, I think, tweet about that. (laughs) I think, yeah, because he had, like, updated a tweet that he had done a couple years ago. Because I hadn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't see his original, but then I saw that and I thought it was hysterical. 
actually thought of of your videos and wondered could we see some sort of marquee with star wars on it inside of an indie film it wouldn't surprise me all that much no yeah (laughs) it wouldn't surprise me either because that that would be peak disney like oh yeah all the ip baby Uh well it's like and most people would see that and go haha that's funny and then like people like me would be like what does this mean and it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't mean anything it's just for fun does that mean that in this world they saw dr jones and based han solo off of it? <laughs> like it would yeah. it would immediately become a thing uh but back back to the pilot so you're a kid you're fascinated by the x-wings um and just based on i mean i'm not sure how old you are but are you a special editions like legends novel kid i think i saw see i saw the first star wars or the first time i saw star wars had to be in like 95 96 so the special editions i do remember going to the theaters to see them all uh and i got into the books in 96 as well i think my first one was shadows of the empire when the game was coming out so yeah like i got into it at the perfect time when like all this new stuff was starting to come out when we were ramping up to the prequels i only had to wait like four years for the prequels yeah exactly i mean we haven't had anything like that until kids now where kids now will never know what any type of drought was ever like and there's something for <laughs> for each and every one of them i mean of, of every interest i mean i'm looking over at this side table i have by my desk and there's like the padme novels are sitting there and stuff and you know we've got black spire and you're know, tying into theme parks so now it's such a big boom but back then you sort of really did have to latch on to what you found to be your favorite things and to track those characters so um through that would you say that you found your love of maybe even bigs does it go back that far or characters like wedge uh so the big stuff (laughs) i get asked about a lot uh i think that really started when then i think this was before the special editions and i would see pictures of that deleted scene of luke and bigs together and i'd be like well that wasn't in the movie and that kind of sparked this like well let's look into this more and be like oh Biggs and Luke were childhood friends and uh, that makes some of their dialogue in the X-Wings make a little more sense and the only way to watch that deleted scene at the time was through this CD-ROM that my buddy had and it was called like uh, Behind the Magic I think or Making the Magic (laughs) and you you had to like unlock it and do all this we had to figure out how to do it which was before the internet where you could just look it up and we, we finally figured it out and it was it's not a great scene. Like that's why it was deleted. <laughs> and, uh, but that just kind of sparked this interest in behind the scenes filmmaking where I was like, it just never occurred to me that things would be shot and left out of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, so that, that's kind of maybe where this stuff with big started. Then we got a dog in like, Oh eight. And, uh, I always thought that bigs would be a good name for a dog. So we named him that. And then that kind of, snowballed into like biggs is my favorite character now we'll just say that and then that snowballed into he is legitimately my favorite character now so it kind of started as a little bit of a joke but i do have like a long history with the character and just trying to track down footage of him and stuff so tracking down the footage you've got the helmet you had the dog you have met biggs himself and you've had a moment how was that for you Oh, so much fun. I mean, that's that's the key. You pick a favorite character who isn't huge. Like, if you if your favorite character is Luke Skywalker, you're going to be waiting in line for hours. But if your favorite yeah. character is Biggs, 
you walk right up and you get to spend all the time you want with him and you get to ask him everything you want. And I, I can't tell if he was like endeared or creeped out when I just started gushing about how much I love Biggs, but he was so nice and then uh, recognized me when I came back later for my picture with him. So uh, yeah, that was such a fun time at uh, Celebration Orlando. That's awesome. That is so cool. Uh, and so moving down the timeline, um, past all that, it's your formative uh, Star Wars years. Um, what role did the games play? You know, maybe the Rogue Squadron. I remember I think I had Rogue Squadron on GameCube, I think is what it was for me. Mm, yeah. That was really exciting. And and playing the Battle of Hoth for hours, trying to master the the cable launch uh, little mini game that it would have within flight. Yeah. So uh, was that part of the experience for you as well? For sure. Uh, I think Shadows of the Empire was... Again, that was really early on in my Star Wars days. I, I think the first video game I ever played was Rebel Assault 2. I recall like uh, running out and doing as many chores as I could to like <laughs> get my parents to pay me. And I went out and that was the first game I like bought with my own money. Uh, it's not great looking back on it now, but I loved it so much as a kid. Uh, and that's also very kind of starship heavy you get to fly a b-wing and an x-wing and a y-wing and do all these different kinds of missions and then eventually you're flying this new type of tie fighter but yeah the the shadows of the empire for sure was like i remember playing that until my eyes were bloodshot and that also has that hoth level in it like <laughs> the battle of hoth has been in like eight video games yeah it just it seemed just never ends i mean the battle and it's all always to me at least the hardest level i mean it's even difficult in at least to my memory in Lego Star Wars, I remember, I think the Battle of Coruscant and and Naboo and all of those, you know, big set piece uh, space battles are all somehow easier than just wrapping those things correctly. Yeah, there is one. Uh, I had the Empire Strikes Back for the Game Boy, and I think it was the same game that was on the SNES, basically. But that one, you just fly up to it and hit a button, and it shoots the harpoon, and they fall over. So that's play oh, that one. Perfect. To, a lot easier that's so satisfying just <laughs> just thinking about watching them fall uh i think that right now we could definitely use you know just thinking about it and, and hearing you talk about those we could definitely use a good starfighter only type game you know alternating yes. between cockpit view or whatever because i think that within battlefront 2 there is the makings of one like i think that the mode that they crafted for starfighter assault plays well and it is a lot of fun you know, it's just that based on, I guess, player preference, uh, the, the support varies across modes and things like that. But, you know, you always see online people uh, begging for others to come join them. That way they're not the only ones in the lobby. I'm, I'm for one those of those, games. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully, like, there was, come join. <laughs> there was, like, that PSN PlayStation Store leak for Project oh, Maverick. Yeah, uh, maverick that's right yeah which that sounds intriguing that could be starfighter i mean yeah related. the name the name lends itself to that i mean you would uh -huh. you would hope yeah you would definitely hope especially with i mean i thought that it was going to be more of a focus just canonically overall because the whole angle of resistance was on this is inspired by robotech this is inspired by dogfighting this is inspired mm -hmm. by Filoni's love of, of of ships and the piloting and and I feel like they sort of got away with that from one to two a little bit like it felt like 
maybe they they pivoted creatively or they were like, oh, we'd we'd rather explore this more. But I, I think that they definitely should uh, embrace it more. Even the sequel trilogy. I mean, the Battle of Exegol is cool, but I don't think that we hit the piloting heights necessarily of the other two trilogies. That's I have a video coming out uh, soon. <laughs> that is all about that. The sequel trilogy to me never really got to those points of uh, the battles of Yavin or Endor or Scarif. Um, oh, Scarif's amazing. I know. Like that Scarif is takes me back to Yavin and Endor. And those three are kind of the big space battles. I think that's a Star Wars space battle done right. Uh, I think people would argue that the Battle of Coruscant is also great and i agree except it's not really focused on all the pilots it's just about following these two characters we already know from point a to point b but right. something about it almost plays like a chase almost yeah something about yavin and endor and scarif like you get to very quickly meet all these different characters you don't know their names unless you read the visual dictionary after the fact but you you kind of see Oh, I've seen that guy a couple times. I hope he makes it. Oh, he died. But what about that guy? Maybe he'll make it. And like you kind of quickly attach yourselves to these pilot characters. And that's what happened in the Battle of Yavin for me. And I think a big reason for it is that the call-in scene, when they're all flying in and they're uh, Red 5 standing by, Red 2 standing by, like it just builds this tension of here are all these people who are putting it on the line. Uh, and yeah. that, that doesn't happen in Exegol. And I wish that it did. The Battle of Exegol feels very impersonal. And on paper, it should have been like one of my favorite things ever. If like this huge civilian fleet comes in to help save the day. And it's like, you right. don't really get to see any of it. It's all so yeah. far away. And I like, and I like it a lot. But And I think that there's cool stuff in it. I mean, the Orbach yeah. charge is is an all-time uh, visual moment for me. And there are things uh, I love um, how Finn just like you know how Boyega really stepped up to the plate as Finn but all the things that I can list to you none of them are really in the air I mean I like uh I love Zori showing up I like that her her y-wing is called the comeuppance and I like that uh in the novel by Ray Carson you get the you do get call-ins and stuff but yes and again like we we got the, the the voices of Jedi past so maybe they didn't want to repeat the beat again I don't know what their frame of mind was if that even came up, but I think that something like that, or maybe not just cutting to wedge, but cutting to wedge and then cutting to like maybe one Gungan and cutting to one, some other guy, like any mixture of things could have taken it up just that one notch. Yeah. Well, that's actually the, the novelization is what inspired me to make that video because it was happening. The like, uh, alphabet squadron standing by phantom squadron yeah. standing by, uh, Kaz gets a line, but you don't know it's Kaz, but you do if you've seen Star Wars Resistance and Yeager yeah, shuts it up. And you know it's Yeager, like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, all of those moments made my heart, like, explode. And I was like, gosh, I wish that happened in the movie. And I do kind of get it, because it's like, the people like us read the novelization. Not everyone that's in that movie theater is going to know what that is at all. But I don't think it's too obtrusive to have done some of that but also if you're gonna put a fourteen thousand ship fleet out there and it's like you just see flashes of the n1 starfighter flashes of a mandalorian yeah. starfighter and it's like why don't we focus on that n1 for 
a second or two while it takes down a TIE fighter. Just like be able to see all of these familiar ships do things. Yeah, I agree. And and what's funny is that when you see like the featurettes um, of them explaining like, well, we we spoke to JJ and we, we developed this library of assets and and they're they're cycling through them on the computer. It's like if I'm, you know, head of visual effects, I'm I'm begging JJ at that point, please yes. slow this down. Please look at what we made. Like take take two seconds. It could just be, like you said, glory shots of you know, X-Wings exploding and one flies by. So I can tell that it's yellow, like just any, anything like that. I think that it, it is, is impersonal is a good word. Yeah. Well, that, that's really the way that they could have given us the, the call in like alphabet squadron standing by or whatever, without having to stop and do that is like, just let us see it where, yeah, you made the fireball. That's awesome. Where is it in the movie? Like if you had yeah. just shown a random ship, blowing up a TIE fighter and some people know it's the fireball and to everyone else, it's just like, Oh, it's a member of the civilian fleet. But the people who know what it is would freak out. Or like, if you have a shot of the Colossus there, just yeah, bowing down TIE fighters or taking on a star destroyer by itself, like that would be perfectly in line with what the casual audience was expecting. But everyone in the know would be like, Oh my gosh, they're doing it. And again, like it's not like it's a um, an untested theory or practice. I mean, because in both Rogue One and in Exegol, including the ghost with no audio, no dialogue, mm-hmm. no anything, mm-hmm. uh, set the internet on fire. People were yeah. thrilled. Because you can and see it in so many shots. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's the only ship where, and maybe that's Dave. Dave's over on the Mandalorian set like, look, all right, I'm helping you out here. I'm developing other things. My baby better get prime real estate in this battle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so just talking about battles and stuff like that. And, and you know, we got a little bit of your background and everything. Uh, I want to move into what are some of your favorites. Um, obviously, you have a plethora of videos of, of ranking things and explaining things and focusing on subgroups. But let's head to, uh, you know, the three battles that you cited as what you consider to be the top of Yavin and or and Scarif, and we can start anywhere you want. Um, aside from Biggs, who we know uh, is the man, and obviously not a great day for him uh, at Yavin. Um, who stands out to you, and who who sticks out? And again, you can even incorporate um, outside things as well. Like we know that Shara Bay, for example, was at Endor, things like that. So w- what comes to your mind? Well, I mean, Wedge is the boring answer but for good reason everyone loves him he is like the common man uh that gets to show up in all of the original trilogy where it's like okay we have our main characters who are dealing with all this like light and dark jedi sith the force the emperor uh but not everyone is dealing with that at all they're just like the empire's bad they're oppressing the galaxy and we have to fight against it and that's Wedge, and he is there in all three movies. Like, to me, he represents just, like, the normal person who's going to stand up and fight, which is what I love about, like, the X-Wing books, where they don't have any Force users, at least for a while. Like, we find out later that one of them was, but for the most part, it's just like, hey, we're a bunch of great pilots, and we want to make a difference. And uh, I love that about Wedge, that we get to see one person just show back up and have that through line. 
And what I like about Wes, just thinking about his career, but also just his his role in the actual you know narrative of Star Wars, is that he sort of kicked off this this tier of character where you've got obviously your A listers and your core group, and then you have I would say maybe A two slash B, probably Lando, but then there's the C tier where it's like we're there, we do get dialogue, but we don't have an arc. But you will remember us. And those are like the, you know, the the Lieutenant Conixes would probably be a great sure. modern metaphor yeah. for those characters. And and those are the ones that I think that people latch onto in a big way where, you know, for me in, in Rogue One, you know, moving things over to Scarif for a second, I became obsessed during the release of that movie with uh, uh, General Merrick, I believe. I love General I was going to bring oh, him up he's... next. He's so awesome. What a hunk. What a hunk. Okay, so I'll let you take it from here. Uh, Because I think he's in that C tier, and I think that with just one adventure with him, there's criminal. I'm going to need about 20 more. Oh, I'm so hoping he's in the Cassian series. Uh, Oh, man. I'm furious that there is no Funko Pop. There is no uh, action figure of any kind. I was Uh, ready and willing to buy that. Like, I have a big shrine. It's time to start a new one, and I, I referred to him as the Blonde Biggs of Rogue One because uh, he's got a killer mustache. Uh, he goes out like a champ. Uh, I he's love him so much. And yeah, he's I talk so about him in, in, in that video about like what makes a great battle. And yeah, like you said, he's not an A-list character, but you know who he is, and you're like, that guy, oh no, that guy got shot down. I didn't want that to happen. Like You latch exactly. onto him despite him having so little screen time. Uh, he does get some stuff on the ground to do, but yeah, he, he's he's the best. Yeah, I mean, they they he had that one shot in the trailer for Rogue One where he's just battle roar yelling mid flight, and I remember uh-huh. seeing the trailer and being like, "Who the hell's that?" Like yeah. instantly, I need more of him, uh, and I need more of of Radis, of course, another character that would be wonderful yeah. to see again in in Cassian. Just just another aspect of that battle, you know, moving to the capital ships. Is another thing that I think that you know we get a, we get it obviously with General Pride and Exegol, and this isn't just dog on Exegol. It's just it's the most recent one in our minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what made Endor and all these battles so effective is you cut to whatever home base is, and a lot of the time it's those capital ships, and it just it gives you such stakes. I mean, I, I remember thinking about, and I've been saying somebody, and I'm sure someone has, but somebody needs to do a a stand up bit about what was it like on Yad <laughs> Yavin when Luke turned off his computer. I mean, at that point, it's like, pack it up. <laughs> like, we need... <laughs> yeah, everyone <laughs> <No>. run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we bet on the farm boy that we deserve this. Like... <laughs> Why did we do this? <laughs> this is a terrible plan. They're, like, de- instantly demoting Leia. Like, you're done. Yeah. You're done here. <laughs> Get out. So we talked, obviously, Merrick, again, Merrick fanboys right here. I think that in Endor... There's lots of standouts. Obviously, I think Nine Nub or Nien Nub, depending on who you are out there, um, is another one who is in that C tier of like, oh, that guy. And when you're a kid, you're like, oh, it's laughing guy. Yeah, he, he sticks out. The aliens get a lot of shine in the battles as well, which I think is cool. That's something that uh, I do point out that I think the sequel trilogy did right is that they they get a lot more non-humans in the cockpit. And I think that's more just a, it was a limitation of the 80s, because I know they tried to do Solistins and Mon Calamari, and it just didn't really work out. Uh, 
but I, I love that we get like Abednados and Solastins and uh, I know I'm forgetting at least one other species that in the sequel trilogy gets to fight in the cockpit and uh, that's awesome. As for Endor, uh, probably Arvel Crinid. I mean, he's the, the A-Wing that takes down the Superstar Destroyer, so how could you think yeah. about him? Yeah, I mean, what even, that's one of those moments that registers really well uh, with a child audience without being super grim dark, but it is a, a heavy, heavy moment where the losses become very apparent because, you know, in Yavin, especially, you know, with just the limitations of the time effects-wise, uh, the deaths are sad, but the deaths are sort of over in a second, and you're kind of like, oh, well, all right, we're moving on. But that one has... You know, it gets its own moment. It gets its own scene. It forces the audience to address the idea of, you know, self-sacrifice and everything. And they give it to a character who, again, unless you check, you won't know the name of, Mm -hmm. has no arc, has no real dialogue, um, but it's effective. And I think that that is sort of what you're hitting on. That's the key is you can move these battles around like chess and, and really create something cool. Yeah. I don't, there, there's so many characters in Endor that I feel like get a line maybe and still make me feel for them. Uh, Grizz Fricks is the guy that just goes, she's going to blow and then blows up. And I don't know why but I've always been like, <laughs> oh, no, it's the she's going to blow guy. <laughs> it's because he know. dies. He dies scared. And that's why it sucks. Oh, like, yeah. He doesn't die confident. Yeah. <laughs> that, but I, they do that so well in Endor that I'm just like, I love all of these people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, moving it over to a battle that we haven't mentioned here and to a character that I think is important to highlight, even though she technically is not the actual pilot, but it is Paige Tico, who mm. I think gets probably one of the best battle scenes. And even though that battle is interesting because it really is what it is story wise, it's a it's a stalling job. Yeah, Like, it's not like there's a coordinated effort. It's not right. like it features a lot of people or a lot of designs or anything. But I think that comedy aside, you know, people can can listen to uh, Joseph explain it in our in our comedy episode that we just did um, about the post stuff. But just the actual combat of it, it is tense, man. Like, he stretches out that that final scene of, of catching the detonator. And I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah, um, the Battle of Crate is one that, or uh, Dakar is one that I mention briefly because, yeah, I agree that it doesn't feel like a big battle to save the galaxy. It's a battle to get away and, yeah, to stall. But it, it's mostly focused on Paige, which I think it should be. Uh, I do love the inclusion of Tally. Um, oh, the best. Love yeah, her. she's great. I was so upset when she died in the hangar. It's not long after, which I think was the point. I think we were supposed to like get attached to this new awesome pilot, and she's gone. It's uh, honestly a crime because <laughs> unlike Merrick, uh, I can't figure out a immediate place where I could see her again, and it frustrates me greatly. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, I, and I've thought about it. I'm like, I guess books. Like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's been in a Star Wars Adventures comic since then, but it, it's pretty heartbreaking to be like. Oh, she dies in the hangar. And again, I'm sure that's what they were going for is to make you go like, oh, no, they're they're just wiping out the resistance right now. Uh, but yeah, Dakar is an interesting one. Uh, I, I I always laugh when like people get upset about 
the bombs falling in space or as if the tie bomber never did that and also if it like it does <laughs> it makes sense if the star fighter has gravity then the bombs would have gravity and they would continue moving when they left the bombing bay but i don't know like i i always thought that the bombers were uh i i like cool in a tension building way in that like yeah they are mostly defenseless and they need help and I, I I liked that scene a lot. Yeah, I thought it was really effective. I love the whole idea of them. I think Ryan Johnson talked about them being like these these massive cows that like need to be herded, that like need to be helped. Uh, and I thought that that was uh, a super effective scene to obviously for the character work. Um, and I guess this is a good time to move into characters like a Poe Dameron, who that that scene is definitely uh, in a lot of ways the key to his journey across seven, eight, and nine. Um, so just talking about these characters, I mean, we've touched on a few already. Um, who are some pilots that you think deserve to be highlighted overall? And it could be somebody that is obviously has, has proven time and time again their worth like a Poe Dameron. But with you could being, you know, consuming everything like you do, you've encountered them all at this point. And is there somebody that you're a really big fan of that people maybe might not expect? I'll keep it in the new canon right now. I don't want to start talking about Gavin Dark Darklighter too much, like my <laughs> my replacement bigs. But I, I, since it's at the forefront of my mind, kind of, uh, I wish Jess Pava had returned in episodes eight or nine. Um, really, like all of Black Squadron. I think that probably Ryan Johnson kept them out of episode eight because he knew he was going to wipe out a lot of the resistance and probably didn't want to kill snap wexley for example like uh i think he probably wanted to leave that door open <laughs> um but i also do wish that snap had been in the last jedi and that jess had been in the last jedi or in episode nine i'm really surprised she wasn't uh i i thought that she was one of the standouts in the force awakens she gets a lot to do in the comics just kind of bummed we didn't get to have one final send off for her yeah i agree and, and you know she's a great performer and obviously she uh jessica henrick she's been in the news a little bit lately um actually in the star wars news a little bit lately uh, with the revelation that she auditioned for ray and that she oh, got yeah yeah you know, she got really close to being ray um so i would like to see her again in future stories again who knows what's going to happen in that era if we ever touch it again i mean i'm sure we will but if we touch it anytime soon some sort of pilot-based Disney Plus show I think would be really cool. Uh, actually, speaking of Disney Plus, uh, just talking to you now, I know you touched on it in your Mandalorian videos. Uh, how did you feel about Director Squadron in Chapter 6 of, of Mandalorian? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that gave me a good laugh. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> and I, the uh, Filoni's character's name was Hunt, Wolf Hunter. Hunter it's like Wolf Trapper, or like Trapper or something? Or? Trapper Wolf was in the Trapper name, Wolf. and I was like, Yeah, I think it's Trapper Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yeah that was fun uh too bad taika couldn't have <laughs> been there but that might have been oh, too yeah like okay uh taika, yeah, that, taika that definitely doesn't fly uh, an x-wing either taika taika seems to me like a like an unconventional b-wing type guy yeah for yeah. sure for me the the b-wing is just uh and i love that it got a whole little storyline a whole episode in rebels uh with its introduction the b-wing is such a to me, it's the one that makes me go, huh? Like when I would see it as a kid, I would say, it's kind of odd. Like I don't really, I don't really get it. I don't understand what the advantage of it is. Uh, 
But they really, I mean, Filoni and his team really expanded on it and made me appreciate it a little bit more. Um, so do you have a special place for the B-Wing in your heart or any other ship aside from the X-Wing that you favor? Well, first, I never once had those thoughts about the B-Wing. I was just like, I had the little kind of, mi- not micro machines, but maybe it was. I had the little toy that like you could swivel around the cockpit and it had us foils. And I was like, this is so cool. Like I never thought about the practicality <laughs> of it. Uh, but the A-Wing is probably my second favorite uh, just because it's supposed to be the fast one. Yeah, I think the A-Wings are cool. And I think that the uh, the A-Wing plays the best too, I think, in Battlefront 2. Um, if you can get a handle on it, I think that the A-Wing does. Uh, it is satisfying because it just feels like such a race car, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Talking a little bit more about these these pilots, obviously our, we touched on them before a little bit um, with Dakar, uh, our big pilot representative in you know the past six years in a lot of ways has been poe dameron um so what's been your relationship with poe as a character going back to um our revelations about seven you know where you're being introduced to our characters our first stills obviously his role um was changed on the fly in that movie so there's not wasn't a lot of him but i know i personally instantly fell for him um i was really excited to see him i loved his shots in the trailers I love his role in the movie, uh, him and Finn together escaping uh, the, the Star Destroyer is one of my favorite things in the sequel trilogy, maybe in all of Star Wars. Like that was just the moment where uh, with all the nervousness of like, are they going to pull this off? Them mm-hmm. flying away and meeting each other and that banter, uh, Poe giving Finn his name, all of that. Like I just had a huge smile on my face and I was like, they did it. Like they got me. Yeah, I'm pulled in. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I love Poe in The Force Awakens. Uh, here's where I think it kind of falls apart. If you are someone who reads and watches everything, uh, some of the lessons he learns in The Last Jedi, I kind of felt like, didn't he just learn this in the in the Poe Dameron comic? Like it just makes him it's true. seem the- really. <laughs> really thick-headed which th- it, he, that's fine uh he maybe he be. just is yeah <laughs> yeah uh but it's true i mean the the lessons of leadership and leia i won't always be here and you know you're gonna have to step up to the plate and that sort of is the crux of those 34 issues 30 something uh yeah, yeah it, it does sort of make him a little bit uh Han-esque, which I know has been a little bit of a, a criticism toward Poe, especially in Skywalker, was did they just make him Han light? I don't necessarily agree with that, but I know that his his thick-headedness and his taking forever to assume responsibility uh, does play into that. Yeah, I, I, don't, I think that maybe uh, the fact that his role was changed on the fly in Episode 7, overall, I kind of feel like he's a little inconsistent. Uh so I, I don't love love Poe as a character. Um, he's not my favorite pilot. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say he's probably. Uh, oh, is your dog here too? Okay, cool. I, he's I've just been, outside I've, the office door. Yeah, <laughs> I have been. I've been hearing my dog like kind of walk by my door. Uh, her name is Buffy, and I'm like, when is Buffy gonna let me know that she has opinions on pilots as well? <laughs> this right here is working from home, people. This uh-huh. is work from home, live to tape. <laughs> with Poe Dameron uh, being so prominent and playing a role in resistance in terms of the future. I mean, I know Oscar has shot down the idea of 
playing him in a Disney Plus series. And who knows if he was just being sarcastic, but it seemed like a pretty firm no uh, when he was asked. What do you think would be the future of this side of Star Wars that you are passionate about, that you know so much about? Because everything seems like it's headed in the way of sword and sorcery, mysticism, lore, and things like that, especially with publishing. Are you sort of hoping that Cassian will be the way in for more of this going forward? Um, well, I don't really think that the High Republic has to ignore the other side of things. Um, I think that phase one, as they're calling it, definitely sounds like it'll be more Jedi focused. But I mean, they fly, fly starfighters too. I, I can get behind a Jedi pilot. Uh, but I also think that as we explore the High Republic more, uh, if we are going into phases two and three, that there's room to be like, all right, let's meet some Republic characters now, and maybe we'll get uh, an alphabet squadron of the High Republic era, uh, and they'll just continue to flesh that out. Like, I, I don't think that they necessarily have to choose one or the other, uh, even if the introduction to this new era is, uh, as they called it, the Jedi Knights of the Round Table. Um, other than that, like, I've still got two more alphabet squadron books to look forward to like uh i i'm okay if we take a step back from pilots for a little bit like i will survive there's still plenty of other things in star wars that i love uh it would get boring if every single star wars story were about badass pilots so it's, they, it's exactly. all right and, and and the opposite too i mean you can't have sameness across the board even if it was all jedi stuff which i know a lot of people would actually prefer, but we forget about how moments like, you know, Scarif and, and, and Endor make us feel overall. So just a couple more questions, uh, just some some off the top of my head, sort of uh, silly, sillier piloting questions. Um, who, Alex Damon, is the best pilot in the Skywalker family? Oh, in the Skywalker family? Um, Anakin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would Luke, probably. Luke says he's a good pilot. Biggs even says he's a great pilot. Uh, we see Luke crash a lot, so <laughs> <laughs> not to say Anakin never crashed, especially in the Clone Wars. Uh, but I don't. I th there is like an element of we have more data on Anakin, but I think he did more yeah. impressive things. I'd agree, and I think that Kylo's one major piloting scene is awesome. But again, it does just come down to data. I didn't know how. Uh, obviously, nine was going to go. No one did unless you were obsessively reading leaks, which, hey, to each his own. Um, but there I felt like there was an opportunity at somehow to get him inside of the Falcon. But it probably would have had to have been so contrived. I don't know how we could have done it. But to me, I mean, that's just an I want thing. It doesn't affect the quality sure. at all. But <laughs> I thought that that was the one thing uh, that we could have had. I mean, because when you see Ben Solo finally at the end of nine, you see that guy and you're like, man, I bet you could tear it up in the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you have the same, you have the same charisma of your, of your grandfather and father. Um, talking about the Falcon, obviously an iconic ship that we haven't touched on here uh, in an episode talking about piloting and things like that. Han Solo, is he that good or is he just mostly lucky and pretty average? I think it's a mixture, but <laughs> This is about to sound crazy. I've done a video on it, though, before, so it's already out there. Uh, there is a short story in one of the books that came out before The Last Jedi about, like, these gambling triplets 
in The Last Jedi. And it highly suggests that, like, all luck is kind of Force-based. Trust in the Force, stuff like that. And I was like, is Han Solo, like, yeah, he is very, quote-unquote, lucky. But, like, is he... He's not Force-sensitive, but just his blind trust that things will work like is that kind of (laughs) is that kind of using the force in a way just trusting the universe that like this will work out yeah i mean i guess it's the i mean you talk you hear you know yoda uh teaching luke on dagobah and you go back to i mean i did an episode about the rise of kylo ren with charlie ashby Uh, everybody can go back and listen to that one and we were talking about luke's uh the flashback scene where luke is teaching um, I believe Vo's her name. I, I confuse the names of the other students. Um, but and he's he's explaining, you know, just about opening the door sort of within mm-hmm. yourself yeah. and 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 letting it flow through. In a lot of ways, uh, solo levels of confidence is is kind of that in a lot of ways. I mean, especially when you factor in Qui-Gon uh, talking about uh, little Anakin's, you know, Jedi reflexes, like the boy's skills and and his skills with a pod racer and things like that. I mean, it. It could be. Trust your in- instincts. That's that's all Han does. He trusts all of his instincts, and it always works out. Like yeah. So so absolutely. That part of me is like, when I really start to think about it, is is there some element of the Force involved here, even without him knowing it? I don't know. I think it's funny. I, I think, I think cool. he does yeah. have. Yeah, I, I think he does have. He has to have skill in order to have the confidence to do some of the things that he attempts. So it's not right. all just like, I don't know what I'm doing and here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and especially, I mean, like with, with obviously the added canonical context, we know that he was at least cadet good, you know, yeah. at least Imperial, at least passable in the empire outside of his, uh, uh, stupid bravado and mistakes. Um, uh, last question here, uh, related to just these, these fun things. And this one might require, a little bit of noodling across the eras. What is the best pair of characters to ever sit in the Falcon cockpit? Oh, because I, I honestly am not sure it's Han and Chewie off the top of my head. I think Chewie carries Han for like decades, uh-huh. <laughs> but there are, I think that Ray and Chewie might be the most cohesive unit, but then there was the chaotic greatness of Poe and Chewie. And Claude. I'm going to throw Claude in there as a bonus. <laughs> <Get> a <lot. laughs> so, and then there's also Lando and L3, which might be arguably the most, you know, uh, that could actually be the most cohesive, the most confident. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say Han and Chewie, but I'm going to say specifically, like, at the start of their run. I, I loved seeing them do the Kessel run. That's where yeah. I feel like they really get to actually work together. And it's implied in, the rest of the time that they are a great pilot co-pilot duo, but it's honestly kind of rare that we see them flying together, except for like the asteroid chase, which is also awesome. But I love them working together in the Kessel run and like uh, giving each other instructions, backing each other up and complimenting each other when they pull something crazy off. Uh, I I really love their dynamic in solo. Yeah. And I think that what, Ron Howard and Lord and Miller and everyone involved uh, really accomplished in that scene is it's the almost tease of, you know, the Kessel run is starting 
uh, and then it's Kira sitting there, and yeah, yeah, I yeah. love the character of Kira. And you're sort of like, oh, 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 okay. Well, how much movies left? All right. And then she gets frustrated and says, "Chewie, sit down." And then the theater, you could feel like, you know, that that movie isn't as electric as, say, a mainline Skywalker saga movie. But that was the moment in that film where I feel like everybody was like, "Okay, all right, we waited for it. This is a perfect moment." And Chewie gets his own theme, and that that yeah. was definitely a, a good call. Yeah, I, I love his theme. That was kind of one of my uh, wild wishes for The Rise of Skywalker was that Chewie's theme would come back. Yeah, yeah, if only. I mean, I know that it's Williams, so who who are we to ask Williams to incorporate course, someone, <laughs> someone else's work or anything like that? But uh, it is it is an awesome theme. Uh, and with that, with uh, thinking about that awesome scene and, and reminiscing about these different eras and all that stuff, I think that we have covered a lot in the realm of pilots. I mean, obviously, there are so many other characters uh, that are pilots, that have piloted uh, circumstantially. I mean, uh, Ray didn't even come into this conversation, and obviously her skill is at least, I would say, pretty good. At least, you know, she's (laughs) got X-Wing skills. She's Millennium Falcon. She's got the Force instincts on her side. One day, I'm sure she could pull off some feats like we saw uh, in the Obi-Wan Anakin days. Maybe she'll get her own starfighter later on, but we will have to follow up uh, and do a, a pilot's part two at some point, maybe when the uh, shadow fall or something like that comes out. So thank you so much for making the time, man. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I, uh, I don't so think let... I've talked about pilots for an hour straight uh, ever. No. Nah, yeah. I just figured like I was, <laughs> you know, just like behind the scenes, just thinking about how, uh, in 2020, especially with quarantine and everything, I just wanted to get people that I knew were cool um, to come on and dive into either helping me break down specific things or giving them a specific thing that I knew they could they could dive into. So, yeah, so this this was cool. And obviously it's not hard for people to find you. Uh, yeah, we're going to try to more regularly stream. I think we're going to go for twice a week um, while we're all stuck in self-isolation. Uh, I'm shooting for Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays will probably be a video game stream. Thursdays, for the past few weeks, we've been doing uh, Lego builds and just chats. We are at Star Wars Explained on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And I just want to say thank you so much again to Alex for joining me here on Octo Radio. It was an absolute blast to be able to kick back, sit, and talk about all of these different pilots, these ships, these memories and these hopes and and analyze these battles. It was a really great time. Of course, if you're listening to a show like this, like Octo Radio or any of the other wonderful Star Wars podcasts out there, you probably already watch Alex's content on Star Wars Explained. You probably wake up with Alex and Molly, have your coffee like I do. You're probably watching the Q&As every weekend. But if for some reason you haven't seen their stuff, you can head over to their social media channels. It's very easy because when you type in Star Wars, they tend to pop up pretty quick. It's at Star Wars Explained on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check out the videos. And again, with this show, you can follow me at AD underscore Strider. You can follow this show at Octo Radio, and that's A-H-C-H-T-O Radio, just like the planet in Star Wars. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you want to leave a nice review, that would be much appreciated. Throw some stars in there. It goes a long way to helping the show. And as for me right now, I'm going to go line up some more things to do here in quarantine to keep myself sane. But for all of you, don't forget that call to adventure. Punch it, Chewie.